from Rixie. This is Frameform. Welcome and welcome back to Frameform. Today, we are thrilled to be connecting with none other than Jennifer Scully Thurston, also known as Rogue Dancer. <gasps> Woohoo! <laughs> I'm so excited to be here, Jen. Yes, we are. We're so excited to have you on the show. It has been four seasons and four years ago when we first started speaking into the ether, the very first message, the very first email we ever got from hello, is anybody out there was from you. (laughs) So to now have you on the show and share about all the amazing things you're doing is a really cool full circle moment. Yeah, it is for me too. I was really excited when you guys started this project, Uh, you know. (laughs) People have to know. They have to know about dance film, you know? (laughs) And so much has changed uh, since we started it as well, even with the kind of work that you're doing and seeing all the projects that we've been following over the years. So if you're listening and you think that you've heard the name Rogue Dancer before, you are absolutely correct. It's because last spring, Claire and I were on a panel with Scully. And thanks to Autumn Miss Belk with Screen Dance in Schools for inviting us to do that. Um, yeah, so if you want to listen to even more after this episode, um, you can go back to season three, top of the season, and you can listen to that conversation as well. But today we are really focusing on your initiatives of Rogue Dancer and also some other exciting new projects as you've been working on as well. So, of course, obligatory intro question. How did you get started in the world of screen dance and what metaphorical hats are in your personal collection? You know, it's funny. Um, you've heard me say this a couple of times, but I, I really believe that I'm a dance lifer and my, my goal in life is to serve the dance community. So, and it started way back. I was a kid dancer, went on to dance with a modern company, you know, a local company at 15 years old, went to school, went to Un- University of North Carolina at Greensboro, got my degree from there went to New York, did all this stuff. And then my my dance life kind of came to a screeching halt when I had children. So, um, and I realized I found myself in a, in a time and space where I um, didn't, didn't have dance in my life. And, um, you know, as things rolled around, I, um, you know, I had to make a de- definitive decision to move into more of an arts administration um, capacity as far as work is concerned. I found myself in a place where I really needed to make some decisions about my life and my children. And, and, uh, and then I found, you know, while I was in that space, uh, some, you know, Facebook was new, social media was new. And I find, I found myself seeing stuff crossing my path. I was like, Oh, that's kind of cool. Well, that's neat. That was well shot. And then uh, I had a friend, you know, from college, a filmmaker friend who started sharing stuff with me. And I was like, you know what? I think this is a worthy endeavor. I think this is a way I can kind of move back in myself as an artfully active dancer. And, um, and that's what we did. You know, I started uh, working with a company in Atlanta called Core Dance. And in that space, uh, they allowed me to um, have an event, you know, because the, the dance film events that were, that were there prior to me being there um, were no longer uh, having events. So we, uh, so I started my first dance film event called Encore Dance on Screen. And uh, it's, you know, I've been lost ever since. They, they, they got me. <laughs> so my friend and I made a film and uh, started making work and started showing work. 
and that's how it started. And as far as meta metaphorical hats, I mean, I'm a, I'm a maker for sure. I uh, come from the dance, you know, I use a dance vocabulary to make film and I am a curator. So I put film programs together. I help, um, I'm lucky to uh, be asked to adjudicate a few dance film festivals a year. So that's fun. I, that's kind of being part of the selection of the selection committee uh, on what's going to be programmed. Um, and I'm the director, the, the creator and director of Rogue Dance, a film fest by Rogue Dancer, which is an online monthly um, thematically curated event so that people know every month they can go to, go to Rogue Dancer and get their dance film fix and uh, enjoy a couple of hours of entertainment. And I'm just now, this year is my first year as the director of the American Dance Festival's Movies by Movers Festival, which I'm super, super, super excited about. Well, congratulations. That is all so awesome. And when I say congratulations, I am obviously speaking of the new, exciting ADF position. But I also really want to shout out your independent initiatives because that's something I really connect with. And I think it's important that we have these big institutions, these important organizations have these long-standing legacies and carry on with these important names and bring in new artists and do all these like robust programming. But it's also important to have those disruptors and those independent thinkers and those people that come in and say, okay, this isn't done yet, but I don't think it's because it's a bad idea. I think it's because I'm the person that needs to do it. So with that said, can you share a little bit about how you started Rogue Dancer? Yeah, I, you know, actually my Rogue Dancer kind of grew out of um, me really enjoying consuming dance films and, and, and collecting them through other, organ, you know, other film festivals. And um, so I really kind of, it started off, the nugget of Rogue Dancer start off is kind of a, let's have an archive of some kind where we can, uh, you know, put together events, we can uh, lump filmmakers together, we can, we can do all kinds of things with the cure, you know, curatorial process, the caring process of the work. And, uh, but then I, you know, I kind of thought about it actually for a couple of years. And I, I was trying to think of why, why would a filmmaker trust their film with me? Like, why, why would they give me their precious baby artwork, you know, to, um, to me? And what, what, what can I give back? So I kind of just leaned into what I knew and uh, decided that I, th you know, decided I could probably pull together these events, but pull them, pull them together in a way that really hasn't been done before. Because, you know, when you do these annual events, you're, you have a time limit, you have to kind of pick the, the absolute best films and, and share them in a lot of, um, a lot of films, maybe lower budget or made by students or get kind of lost in that process and that gatekeeping process. So um, part of Rogue Dancer also gave me a reason to say yes to a lot of fil films. So if a film has a has a plan, has a, um, a direction, it's executed well, there's a nugget of an idea, I try to program it so that filmmakers who maybe don't get into the bigger film festivals can get a, a screening. Um, so yeah, so I, uh, I went into Rogue Dancer kind of wanting to give something new. And at the time it was pre-pandemic, 
pre-pandemic and I, um, there really wasn't a lot. There were a few things online for dance film, but there, there wasn't a, there wasn't a regular place to go every month or every year that I knew of where we could just go sit in your own living room and watch and watch some films. So that was the other thing I, I really wanted to create a place where people who are curious or interested or trip upon could come and these films could get as many eyeballs on them as possible. So that kind of was the, the nugget of the idea. And I do love to, um, and pulling the films together in themes has been a really interesting process too. Um, and uh, yeah, and I don't, we don't often go to film festivals and you have little, little sections on, you know, quiet films and little sections on parent films and little sections on joy. And, you know, so it's kind of a neat way to organize and uh, sort everything as they come into, into the film freeway platform. There's so many essential things that you're doing that are different that I love. The thing that makes them different is the strength. For one is frequency. We don't have that level of frequency in this field for curation like we do in other art forms like independent music compared to pop music or independent film that just general films compared to mainstream films. We don't see as many mainstream screen dances coming out. Something we like to explore in Frameform is finding examples of things that could cross over or be seen through that lens, but it's not the same. So I think your frequency and your ability to get into those specific themes, which I definitely want to talk about more later, but it allows you, so instead of having one event with however many screenings or programs a year, you have essentially 12 monthly programs you're putting together. And that's 12 opportunities, as you said, to say yes, 12 different reasons or frameworks. Um, And I think that something that I love about curating is also the order you put things in within the screening. So for you to put these films in context with each other makes them that much more strong. And I love that. I think that's something that is a really important function or a really important contribution to what we do because we don't have that same classification um, with this art form that we do with other um, genres. In fact, an argument or a perspective I often take is that screen dance or dance film is a mode, not a genre, and too often we're clumped as a genre. So the fact that you are taking this mode and then dividing it into genres allows us to see that so clearly. So love that you do that. Have there been any specific themes that you really are passionate about or that you're like, I finally have enough films to do this one or this one's so on its own. I need more to go with it. Absolutely. I mean, I just want to step back a couple, um, a couple steps and just say, I've kind of given myself an unlimited time, time limit, which I think is really beautiful. And maybe that's my own, you know, my own geeky side going, I can watch as many dance films as I want, you know, but it really does make a difference when you have a frequency that's often enough that you can, you can really play all the films because it really is heartbreaking. And you know this, Jen, it's heartbreaking when you're adjudicating a, a film festival and that last step when you're really like trying to get into that, that zone of an hour, hour and a half two, depending on the festival is just so heartbreaking when you have to say no to, to a couple of films. So all you filmmakers out there, just remember this, this is a hard process and we do love your films. 
Um, it's just, you know, those particular instances is so hard to pare it down. So yeah, Rogue Dancer has been really, it's been great. I, I, I it's, it, it's a baby and all the themes are babies. And honestly, I'll be excited about a theme um, and be collecting for a couple of years because I'm programmed out into 2014. So I'm, I'm collecting as I go. So when I see a film um, that I think fits the criteria, and I put that in quotes because um, some of these themes are so open that there's you can uh, interpret them in many different ways. So um, I'll kind of put them in files and just leave them there, not look at them for a while until I get to that month. And then I'll look at the films that I've collected. And oftentimes there's a poetry to the grouping uh, from, you know, low budget to high budget to student film to, you know, there, it's just, there becomes a real ebb and flow within the, um, the theme itself. And, um, you know, I, I was looking through uh, my events from the last few years. And the one that kind of popped out to me was I did a, a ver an edition in February, 2022, so a year ago, um, we did the quiet exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point edition, because, um, you know, I think it's an interesting idea, quiet, quietness. I think quiet is different for everybody. And um, I also think the general public assumes that dance, it, it depends on who you're talking about. If you're talking to a, uh, just a, a community member, oftentimes people think the dance is there to support the music. And oftentimes people think that you can't dance without music. And I'm not saying that the quiet edition didn't have music. There were just many different ideas of what music is or what quiet is. So, um, you know, being quiet can be peaceful or it can be really heavy. It can be full of angst. It can be, you know, quietness can feel loud. You know, when you're sitting there in a quiet room and you hear the buzzing of all the, all the electricity and stuff, it can be a loud thing. Um, and needing and needing quiet and this is something i'm also a, mo a mother so you know needing quiet is sometimes feels painful you know it feels like oh i just want everybody to go away <laughs> be quiet so you know within that genre I, I found a lot of really beautiful quiet ish films i love that we you know we love a theme here on Frameform, and <laughs> we have done a headphones on episode where we talked about sound design specifically and we focused on films that either used it as a concept or just executed it really well. But we haven't done anything on quiet. I think the closest we got to that was when we did an episode um, in our Location Scout series on snow. And then that kind of took us a little bit down that pathway of, oh, it's nice to have this audio space, this quiet, this calm, especially when there's so much density and like, it's such a part of the structure of what we watch so often. So yeah, I definitely connect with that. So I have not seen this specific program or a lot of the films in it. I've seen resort. I think that's it. I'm familiar with Austin Forboard, but not that specific film. So yeah, I definitely want to see um, all of these. And of course in the show notes, we'll have links to all sorts of things that we're talking about. So if something piques your interest when you're listening you can go check that out specifically even if you need to like pause and come back to do so um with that said we are going to link your patreon in the show notes as well and I wanted to talk to you about your patreon as well because I think that is just another great example of your independent thinking 
your make it happen approach and yeah, just something I really admire about you. So Rogue Dancer has been on Patreon for a few years now and I don't think that it is an avenue that I see many um, screen dance or dance film practitioners on and I think that at least from the outside, from someone who is newer to it, um, it seems that it seems it, it's a good option as opposed to like crowdfunding or, you know, just doing ticket sales on a case by case basis. So what is the real experience been and what made you decide to go down that path? Well, Patreon. So I am I am a patron of other artists and I really from that perspective, I really enjoy being able to give a little bit every month to someone knowing that it's going to, even though it's a little bit on my end, you know, it could be like a, the price of a cup of coffee on my end, but it does impact the artist on the other side pretty significantly. Um, I, you know, a lot of Patreon, um, people who use Patreon have layers of uh, funding or layers of giving, and sometimes they start at a dollar. So we started at a dollar. And when you think about it, you know, a dollar from your bank account once a month is not going to, you're not going to feel it on your end. And you know that you're doing, you know, you're helping, helping out some artists. I'm also an artist. So I try to make a film, a film a year, whether it's a large film or a small, a smaller film, but that those funds really come in handy. If you have a few patrons and they're each giving, you know, one to three dollars a month, that money comes in handy when you really need it. I mean, gen, you know, I have a long way to go. So it's, I'm still kind of in the seedling phase of uh, patron base, but um, it definitely, I, I like using it because it, it, it definitely um, builds and is helpful, especially when you need, you need a little, need a little nudge, need a little help. And I have to say your merch is fire. The embroidery. I mean, if you're going to do it, do it right. I embroider my logo on my sweatshirts and my t-shirts and they're, they're really cool. I take a lot of pleasure. Actually that, that just kind of, feeds my you know my sense of my designer self you know uh I really putting the merch together is really a lot of fun for me I can totally relate to that because even though I got into this because of my love of screen dance it's really because I love so many other things connected to it and part of why I like doing frame form and the festivals even more than making the films themselves sometimes is the kind of side projects or other tasks creative and practical that go with each one so if you like designing I bet that's something it probably is a good transferable skill for ADF and obviously for Rogue Dancer I mean it's you're transferring it from Rogue Dancer but you know what I mean it's it's a good thing that you like that because I think it's tough to be in a position where you need to have many hats you need to be competent at many things or to be a director you need to at least understand them enough to coordinate with other people so they can be competent at those things and making this vision come together. I just imagine that like there's a lot that you learned in your time with all your other projects, but especially Rogue Dancer that are translating over now where you're like, man, I'm so glad I learned this <laughs> like before because I'm saving a lot of time. Do you ever find that? Yeah, what's nice about what I do with Rogue Dancer is that I am always in the process of collecting, watching, kind of assessing film. So 
a lot of times when I go to another festival, if, if I'm just adjudicating, I've seen some of them already. So I can watch them again with a new eye, a new lens, and, uh, you know, kind of get a deeper understanding of what they're trying to do and getting to know the filmmakers. And, and I think that, you know, coming, kind of shifting over to the directoral, the directoral kind of um, arena with ADF movies by movers, it's a lot, it saves me a lot of time um, on one end, but it also means I can like really sit in the films a little bit longer. And of course I see with every festival, I see a grouping of films I haven't, I haven't seen through Rogue Dancer. So I'm really just broadening my kind of my, um, my knowledge of what's out there, especially currently. Um, with Rogue Dancer, we take everything. We take old, I want old films. I want new films. I mean, I, I want to start like looking at eras, <laughs> eras of films, which I think uh, could be really interesting. But with, with other film festivals, usually just the films that were made within the last couple of years. So that kind of, that actually helps Rogue Dancer as well, because I can find films that I really like and I can reach out to those filmmakers and say, hey, I, I love your film. I saw it because I'm an adjudicator of film festivals, dance film festivals. Would you be willing to, you know, uh, come over to Rogue Dancer? And and then I share what we do over there. So, um, so I really think that they work hand in hand. And, uh, you know, when we were discussing me taking over for the lovely Kara Hagen, um, who passed the torch to me <laughs> um, earlier on this year, you know, basically pitched that I was already in the process of of working through those films. I already knew the Film Freeway platform, which I love, by the way. I think it's a really beautiful way to share your films and, and get them out there. I really appreciate that you do that. And I understand why a lot of festivals do put a time limit on the release or they want to have the premiere. And it's why it's great that there's so many different kinds of platforms to show these films online and live. But, you know, I think it's unnecessarily limiting if we do not consider things from the past. Because the thing is, times have changed. I think there's a very clear era, pre, you know, many eras, um, pre-COVID, and then you have COVID and post-pandemic. Like, things changed in that time for a lot of things, but especially for screen dance. I mean, I don't want to say most of all for screen dance, but we are a field that definitely went into hyperspeed evolution mode in that time because I think a lot of resistors had no choice and a lot of people that only would have been interested in live performance had to adapt or or stop doing what they were doing. So it's a bit of an involuntary puberty, I think is what I called it in our pandemic episode. It was like a really awkward phase that we all had to go through but we're better for it. We, we made it through. But I think that if we show films that are older, we also get to expand our knowledge of how quickly things have changed and what these trends are. And we can be more weary of avoiding those trends. Have there been any, um, have there been any tropes that you have seen cycle in or out that maybe at the time you thought, Oh, this is just a fleeting thing. This is going to go away. Like one thing I'll, I'll say on that is like warehouses. I got so sick of looking at warehouses and the bar is really high if you make any warehouse films now. But we get why people use them. So for me, it's not a make or break. Is there anything that's kind of popped up over time for you? Uh, for sure. Um, first of all, how proud are we of our 
dance community for kind of rallying around the pandemic and like pulling up their, you know, tying their shoes and getting out there and making work. I have to say I'm super, super, super proud and, you know, leave it to the dancers to get stuff done. I, I just think it's amazing. And, um, and it's funny that pre pandemic, I was an online platform and a lot of filmmakers were like, Nope, I do not want to be streaming. And, and I, and that, that was perfectly fine. I mean, it's always, it's always the filmmaker's discretion to what to, to do. But then as, as we kind of found ourselves in a situation where we couldn't let, perform live, we, you know, I got lots of requests and, and of course, lots of platforms popped up for, for this sort of thing. But, um, you know, uh, so that's been a huge change. Um, but also with that, a lot of, um, to really appreciate dance film, you do have to go back because pre-pandemic, we're kind of in a period where everybody's experimenting with the genre, which means we're all learning, right? We're all learning and we're all kind of mucking our way through it to put something together. And, and there were some masters pre-pandemic that were doing it and we're doing it really, really, really well. And I think it's so important to kind of take a look and see what they were doing as far as like an embodied camera and, you know, going into situations, choreographing in a space, you know, as opposed to just improving in a space. I mean, there, there's some real, the real masters there. So I think there's a lot of value to that. Um, but having said that, there's so many things happening now where people are actually getting a chance to experiment. I'm a self-taught filmmaker. Like with every project, everyone on the team has to learn something new. I mean, that's the whole point. We're going to try something new. It may, we may fall on our faces, but we're going to, we're going to really try to make, you know, steps and we have the technology to do it. So tropes that came up, I mean, there's so many, right? There, there's the pool and I loved, I loved all your location episodes, by the way, they, they really made me very, very happy. Um, but I think there are some people who took the, this whole masking and COVID kind of requirement and done it and did it really, really well, you know? Um, for example, we'll go back to that quiet, um, the quiet episode of my, we had, um, and I'm sure you've seen this film, Slippery, which one is it? It's uh, High Winds and Slippery Surfaces. It's like a, a minute and a half. And every now and then you catch, the, it's lit, lit in such an ingenious way that every now and then you may catch that she's wearing a mask, but you really wouldn't notice if you were, if you were, weren't looking for it. And I thought that was really skillful. And I think people started, you know, with the pandemic, people started uh, started to kind of take that idea. And of course we all kind of masked up and danced in front of a camera, but then as we experimented with it, we became more and more um, clever about how we did that. And I, I'm always looking for that. When I'm, when I'm getting films, I, I'm, I'm always looking for like a, a new idea, something that someone has done that I haven't seen before, you know, that's always delightful to me. For sure. I, you know, pun not intended, but I think we might maybe got a little sick of all the COVID films that were coming in. And I started calling them the quarantine screen dance because there was just a whole body of them. There was so many. And I, I, I was excited about it because I was like, wow, there's so many more people making work that I've never seen before. Or if you looked at their page, um, clicking through their submission, it's like, oh, this is this is the first time they've explored this frontier which was really exciting because it's just if you had a if you had the data to map out total amount of works made 
there would have been a huge spike that year. And in a way, what a blessing that we had such a huge creative spike in a time that was still, um, you know, so uninspiring and draining in other ways. But yeah, I agree. The films that really experimented with the idea of what excellence in that time meant um, or took what could have been a restriction and made it something interesting. Like my, one of my favorite COVID films period is uh, isolations uh, Talia Shea Levin, because you take the idea of, okay, the camera can't be inside. It has to be outside. So then let's shoot it on film and let's do this slow zoom and let's have it feel like a seventies cop show. And it has a completely different vibe to it. And instead of feeling cold and isolated, there's this warm, kind of hug that says like it's gonna be okay it's all right just look at the cat in the window I think there's a lot of inspiration that can really come from having those restrictions and that said I think you coming from the independent world and having to you know learn how to make your films on your own and create your festival on your own and pioneer this online platform you're going into this director position with so much experience and knowledge that I don't even know if you can see it because it's you, right? But from the outside, I'm telling you, I'm excited for you in this role and all that you're bringing to it. Well, this is my first year going through ADF Movies by Movers. We haven't actually started screening. We're still in the adjudication process. Actually, we're still in the collection um, phase for a couple more weeks. Uh, till the end of February. And then um, I'm going to go through the adjudication process with our friend Stephen Butler and my friend from Atlanta owner, Topal Summer. I'm really excited. She's a Turkish filmmaker. And, um, but moving, I mean, you know, modern dance, we're all, it's all independent. It's all on the fringes of art, right? So we're kind of, even though I'm going from an independent, my own baby uh, online to, more of a kind of established festival, we're still all trying to find eyeballs. So my goal, and I don't, I think that this is a perspective that has been taken before, but my goal is definitely how many films can we program? Can we honestly program in the time that we have and how many eyeballs can we direct towards that? And I think being an online um, festival drives that a little bit more, um, I think that kind of gives me, it gives me some information to bring to the ADF Movies by Movers. And with that, you know, we're going to, we're doing a very exciting partnership with a movie theater nearby. So we're going to do Movies by Movers screenings uh, on Mondays in May, and then they're going to do encore screenings throughout the week. And then the, 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 um, the cinema is going to bring like classic musicals to the table. So we're going to try to do some really neat pairings that way. Um, and then we will, we will have our screenings in the summer. So our normal, um, two days of screening, I'm trying to program 90 minutes in every block. So it'll be two blocks on each of those days. Um, so that's pretty normal. I mean, we, we could do that. The thing we're trying to do is program some longer films because oftentimes there's a 15 minute cap and there's some beautiful longer films, films that are 30 minutes, 20 minutes, 45 minutes, hour and some. So we're, what I'm trying to kind of wrap my brain around is how do we um, elegantly pull these longer films into these um, in, into these programs? And I've also come up with an idea 
like why not we can we can put films wherever we want to right we can we can slap up a qr code and have people take a film film on the road you know so we're gonna play with those ideas too i think we're thinking about giving out party favors so there'll be like films to take on the road that's so awesome when we can take that festival experience and make it unique and not just answer why go to a festival why go to this festival that's a really important thing to do because especially now that things are available online and they are more accessible, which is a good thing. It does demand more from people to part with their time and, and sometimes their resources to like physically go attend these events. And I love that you're coming up with all these creative ways to present and in true Scully fashion, instead of saying, uh, accepting a no or a presumed, uh, yeah, that's just not how we do it. You think, how can we though? How could we do this? How can we say yes more? How can we include these? Because definitely referring to those long films, those are the hardest ones to program. And I love that you are focusing on those and saying, how can we find a space for them? Because those filmmakers work extra hard. And I'm sure that every step of the way, it's like, wow, you're doing a 30-minute dance film or a 40-minute screen dance or you know, it's this feature at that point, basically, this becoming, you know, for this media, for this uh, medium, that's considered more of like a feature length when you're getting to 40, 45 minutes. And what a huge endeavor. And I love that you're embracing that uniqueness. Well, it's kind of uncharted territory, right? I mean, no, it's, it's really hard to program those films because, you know, you have to give them their own space for it. And space, our time is our prime real estate, isn't it? Right? So the films have to, you know, we have to, we're, we're asking people to give their time to these films, but they're, like you said, they're huge under undertakings and there's, there's really no reason why we can't give them some platform to screen on. And I, and that's the other thing. I'm the first person that will snuggle under a blanket and be perfectly happy watching films for a whole weekend and not seeing a person, but you cannot you can't you can't substitute going to a festival and this is not to say that you know staying at home but is the best but there's nothing to, that substitutes going to a festival meeting people sitting with people in a theater that is a given and it's always it's always going to be a priority so and it even made something like this zoom interview that we're doing that much better because i remember the first time we got to connect was live in dc for capital and to be able to connect offline was amazing and to talk about the films in person and say oh yeah I saw this one online but seeing in the theater is different or I'd never seen that one before and who's that person it was just so great to do that and I just love that we're going to get to do that all over again very soon at ADF all of us at Frameform have the utmost respect for you what you do and how you do it so we really appreciate that you took the time today we could brag about you more and talk more about all the different projects you're doing and feature who truly is the first Frameform listener, super fan. And now you are part of our guest list. So thank you so much for being here today, Scully. <laughs> it has been my absolute pleasure. You, you are such a delight, Jen. I have to say you're just a pure delight and your festivals are fabulous. I can't wait till I can go to one of yours again. <laughs> All right. Well, where can we find you online? Of course, we're going to have links in the show notes, but just give us a little 
plug on where we should be going after we click off of this episode. So you can find the monthly uh, showcases on roguedancer.org. There's a tab just for the Film Fest by Rogue Dancer. Um, and every month I swap it out. It's the same length. You don't have to learn new links or find new links. It'll be a different um, event there every month. And you can find me at patreon.com, uh, Rogue Dancer. So um, Patreon is my uh, patron platform. And if you like what we're doing, and also you get little tidbits from the, the work that I've been doing. And if I'm in, engaged in a project, um, I, you know, lots of things goes, lots of information goes in that stream, in that space. You can also find ADF Movies by Movers at the AmericanDanceFestival.org slash Movies by Movers. Awesome. Thanks again, Scully. And thank you to our listeners. We will see you next week for another episode of Frameform, hosted by Hannah Weber, Jen Ray, and Claire Schweitzer. Episode edited by the Frameform team and music by Mason Carlton. Thanks for listening. <laughs>